0: Father, we thank you for this beautiful morning. We thank you, Lord, for the worship of your amazing name and for all that you are doing currently here in our church. And Lord, I pray today that as we gather and as we study the book of Luke, as we continue in this narrative, oh, Father, I ask that you would be with us. God, I ask that your spirit would go through and that your spirit would do what he does best, that he would convict us that he would encourage us, that he would speak to each and every one of us as according to your word. Father, it is a privilege and a pleasure to have your word and to know that it does not return void. Oh, Father, would you be with me this morning that, that I would glorify you and that we would sit at your word and we would come away with exactly what you have for us. Oh, Lord, we ask that you would do this and many more things. We ask all of this in your son's mighty and precious name, amen. Well, no matter who you are, or what age you are, or what occupation, all of us in this room share one thing in common. All of us know what it is like to have high expectations of something, only to find ourselves disappointed. Perhaps some of us have have taken a suggestion of a friend to go to a new and popular restaurant and they've raved about how good it is and so you've decided to maybe take friends and family and you go there and the waiter or waitress is so-so, the food is not anything to write home about and you had high expectations of what this meal would be. And as the bill comes, you think that really didn't live up to my expectations. (laughs) Or perhaps you have friends that are travelers and said you've got to go to this place or you've got to go there and and you've decided you're going to go visit and so you've gone on Google Maps and you've circled the places you're going to go and you even have the rest stops and the restaurants and all that you're going to do and this is going to be the trip to top all trips. This is going to be the place where you're going to finally read that C.S. Lewis book, where you're finally going to read that book on leadership and the vacation, it's not bad, but it doesn't quite live up to your expectations. Or perhaps some of us have had a new boss and excited that he or she is gonna be the one to really set things right, that's gonna be the one to really fix things, and so you're excited that maybe with a new boss, maybe with now new management, things are going to be as they should. And what happens? They come and they go and nothing really changes and it is in our text this morning that we are going to hear from John the Baptist himself and others who upon seeing Jesus in his ministry had really, really high expectations of all what they thought Jesus would do, only to find themselves disappointed because Jesus did not do the very things that they thought he would, and so, Our text leads us to ask this central question this morning. When you come to Jesus, what are you looking for? When you come to Jesus, what are you looking for? Because what you are looking for will determine if you are satisfied with Jesus. We're going to wrestle with this question today in three points. The first one is going to be, are you the one in verses 18 through 23? Our second question will be, what do you see in verses 24 through 28? And our third question will be, is Jesus enough in verses 29 through 35? So let's, let's go first to our first question in verses 18 through 23. Are you the one? So let me read for us 18 through 20 quickly. The disciples of John reported all these things to him and John calling two of his disciples to him sent them to the Lord saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Now, if you're like me, when you come to this text, you have some questions, right? Right? Why is John the Baptist sending his disciples to go ask Jesus this question? Why isn't John the Baptist going himself? And why is John asking if Jesus is the one to come or if they should look for another? I want to lay out three quick reasons why John even asked this question. The first reason that John sends out his disciples is because if you remember back in Luke 3, we remember someone called Herod, right? And we see that as Herod is on the scene, Herod decides, he sees his brother's wife and decides, I want her as my wife. And so John the Baptist is on the scene. And what does John the Baptist do as any good prophet does? He opposes Herod. He tells Herod that this is sinful and that he cannot do this. And because John the Baptist has sway amongst the Jewish people, Herod wanting to have his brother's wife knows that the only way to do that is to do what? To imprison John. So we see that in Luke 3, one of the reasons why John sends out his disciples is because all while Jesus' ministry is going underway, as we have been studying for the last several months, from Luke 3 to Luke 7, while Jesus has been healing, been forgiving sins, and his ministry has been unfolding, John the Baptist has been in prison, only able to hear about what Jesus is doing, and yet not able to see any of it. The second reason why John the Baptist asked this question is because John the Baptist is the announcer of the Messiah. If we look at a passage such as Isaiah 40, we see that Isaiah prophesies that there is one coming who is going to prepare the way of the Lord. And what do we see John the Baptist claim about himself in Luke 3? He says, I am that one. I am the one that Isaiah talked about. That was a voice crying in the wilderness that has been sent to prepare the way of the Lord. So if anybody needs to know who the Messiah is, it's John the Baptist, right? And so John in prison is sitting here wondering, Jesus, are you the Messiah? Are you the one who is to come? And the third reason and the most significant reason that John the Baptist asked this, is because of all of the ways that the Old Testament spoke of what the Messiah would do. When we look at passages such as Isaiah and the prophets, look at what Michael Bird says the people were expecting of the Messiah. He says, a royal person, the Messiah is going to be a royal person who will rule over Israel, defeat her enemies, and represent Israel before God. We see in passages such as 2 Samuel 7 that God promises David that there is one coming who is going to rule, who he's going to set up an everlasting kingdom. So as we read the prophets, as we read the Psalms, as we look at the Old Testament, we are waiting for this coming Davidic king who is going to do what? Set everything right. Defeat the enemies of God who is going to reign and set everything up. And so John, the announcer of the Messiah, the one who is waiting, the one who John the Baptist is waiting and waiting and waiting to say there he is. While John the Baptist is sitting in prison, you can imagine he thinks something like this. Was I wrong about Jesus? John the Baptist is thinking, I baptized him. I remember when Jesus came out and and Jesus came out to be baptized and said, no, no, you shouldn't baptize me. I should baptize you. I shouldn't baptize you. You should baptize me. And John the Baptist says, upon Jesus' baptism, what do we hear? That the father from heaven say, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. This is the one that John talked about. He says, this is the lamb of God that does what? takes away the sins of the world. This is the one that John says, this is the one whom I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal. This is the one that John says that this is the one to, that you should flee from the wrath to come, that John says you must bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And John is in prison, sitting there thinking, the Romans are ruling over us. Jesus, you said, in, you said upon your ministry in Luke 4 that you are going to set liberty to the captives, and I'm in prison. And John thinks to himself, Jesus, are, are you the one who is to come? Where is your kingdom? Where is the peace? Where, where is your kingdom at? And this is the context that John asks this question. And I think if some of us are honest this morning, we too have been in some ways confused and disappointed because we thought, like John, that when Jesus' kingdom came here on earth, that it might be a little bit more earth-shattering, right? Maybe RTV6 would do a news article on the beauty and the goodness of what it is that God's kingdom is reigning And yet if some of us are honest, Jesus' kingdom on the earth seems mundane. And if we're honest, ordinary. We need not look far and say, Jesus, your kingdom is here. And yet we see broken families amongst us. We see deceit running through our culture. We are dealing with the effects of racism in our country We live in a time of where there's so much death and sorrow and sickness. We can resonate with John as John is in the prison cell struggling and doubting. John thought that at the first sight of the Messiah that he was gonna set everything right. And so the question that John asks is, Jesus, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And how does Jesus respond? How does Jesus respond to this heavy-handed question? Look with me in verses 21 through 23 to see how Jesus responds. Our text tells us that Jesus says, In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear. the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. John should be encouraged because Jesus is healing. Evil spirits are being cast out, the blind are receiving sight, the lame are walking, the poor have good news preached to them. Jesus is doing the things that only God in the flesh can do. For who but God can tell demons to come out, and they do? For who but God can walk up to the blind and say, see? For who but God can walk up to a casket and say, rise? And he does. I hope you see that in our passage, that while John is questioning, while in a sense he's doubting, Jesus tells his messengers, go and tell John, All of what my kingdom is accomplishing. Jesus on the forefront of his ministry is undoing all that sin has done to corrupt the creation. When Jesus comes on the scene, he is showing and undoing all that Adam and Eve lost for us in the garden. And notice, how does Jesus deal with John the Baptist's doubt? Notice how Jesus doesn't scold. Notice how he doesn't demean. Notice how Jesus, the grace-filled Messiah, points John simply to his word. He shows John that if John will adjust his expectations, and if we will adjust our expectations to what Jesus is actually doing, and perhaps maybe not what we wish he would do, what he's actually doing Jesus tells us in verse 23 that we will in fact be blessed and so how does Jesus respond to John's question John asks from a prison cell Jesus are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another and what does Jesus emphatically say yes my kingdom has come look at my deeds and look at the ways that I have fulfilled all that was spoken of me And now this leads us to ask our second question, which is, what do you see? What do you see? So as you look at verses 24 through 28, we see that Jesus asks three questions when it comes to John the Baptist. He says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see, a man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing live in luxury and are in the king's courts. What then did you go out to see, a prophet? Yes, I tell you, even more than a prophet. So what is Jesus doing in his three questions? He's probing the crowds to see when they went out to see John. What did they go out to see? You can imagine if you were to go to the desert and you were to see a reed shaking, what would you see? You would see it going back, back and forth. Why? Because a reed is weak. It is not strong. And so Jesus uses the analogy of the reed to show when you went out to see John, you didn't go out to see a weaker, wavering man. You went out to see A prophet. Jesus' second question says, when you went out to see him, you did not go out to see a soft man dressed in soft clothing. Jesus basically tells us, if you were to see John the Baptist, you would see him today wearing a wool, itchy shirt. His thread count would be five. John the Baptist, right? He's not a soft man. He, don't, he doesn't live in the king's courts. He says, this is a prophet, John the Baptist knows nothing of cashmere. He knows nothing of dry fit. He doesn't know about cotton. He knows full, itchy camel hair. This is John the Baptist. And Jesus says that you not only went to see a prophet, you went to see the one who's the culmination of the prophets, right? As we look at Scripture, as we look at the Old Testament, what do we see? prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet saying there's someone coming there's someone coming there is one coming who's going to do this and is going to do that and jesus says john the baptist think about this i i I love the the ease of jesus saying among those born of women as if there's another option he says among those born of women there is none greater there's none greater so i want you to think about this jesus says None greater than John the Baptist, because John doesn't think about what it will be like when the Messiah comes, but John actually announces, he's here, and he's come. And yet Jesus says in verse 28, look at what Jesus says. He shows about John. He asks the crowds why they went out to, to, to what they went to see, and Jesus says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. But did you see the second sentence? Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Did you hear what what Jesus just said? Jesus just helped us with our first point. What was our first question? Jesus, are you the one to come and has your kingdom come? And Jesus says, my kingdom is here. Jesus says, and not only that, but he who is least in the kingdom is greater than he. And so the question that we may ask is, how does one enter into the kingdom? How does one become who is not a part of the kingdom of God? How does one join the kingdom of God and in fact be greater than the greatest prophet that ever lived? If you look back to verse 22, we see this is where Jesus tells John's disciples what? He says that the poor have the good news preached to them. The good news that is preached to the disciples and to all people is not only that the coming king has come and that his kingdom is here, but as the book of Luke is going to continue, as we are going to study in the months to come, we're not only going to see that the king has come, but we're going to see that the king has come to die on a cross in order to welcome his people into his kingdom. I think many of us, in light of, the queen's past, in, in light of the queen's passing, have thought to ourselves, man, what would it be like to be a part of the royal family? What would that be like to be a part of this kingdom that has been going for centuries, to be a part of this kingdom? Well, I have bad news for you today. Unless you or I marry into the royal family, we will never know what it's like. Unless you have a subscription to Netflix and you binge The Crown, you will never get a a bird's eye view of what it is like to sit with the queen, to sit with the king, to, to go to breakfast and have coffee and trinkets and all of those miraculous things. You and I will never know what that is like. And yet Jesus tells us that you and I have a privilege to be a part of a greater kingdom. That, yeah, I don't know what it's like to be at Buckingham Palace, but when all of history is said and done, you and I, Jesus says, that if we have put our faith and trust in him, we will not only sit with him, we will not only be sons and daughters of the king, but Jesus has the audacity to say that you and I will reign with him. This is the coming kingdom that Jesus says, if you put your faith and trust in me that we will reign with him we will sit with him more than conquerors and so our second point asks us and makes us pause to say when you see jesus what do you see when you come to jesus if you see your unworthiness If you see your sins, if you come to Jesus saying that I am a poor, wretched sinner, Jesus says that we will be welcomed into his everlasting kingdom. That we have inherited a name better than sons or daughters. That you and I don't have to compete for places in the kingdom, but that all of us have a place and a seat and we have been saved. So I ask of you our second question, when you see Jesus, what do you see? Because if you see the cross, your heart's going to be satisfied. Your heart is going to look upon your king dying for you, having his blood shed, and you will see greatness and goodness. And so remember, we started this morning asking, what, three questions. The first, are you the one who is to come, Jesus, or shall we look for another? And what does Jesus emphatically say? Yes, I am, and I brought the kingdom. That was our first question. Our second question is, when you see Jesus, what do you see? Because if you see the cross and all of its glory and its amazing invitation to belong to his kingdom, then you will be satisfied. And now this leads us to ask our third and final question, which is, is Jesus enough? In verses 29 through 35, is Jesus enough? So notice, after Jesus announces that those who are at least in the kingdom of God are greater than John, we see what? There are two responses to Jesus's open invitation. We see in verse 29, we see in the parentheses, we see it says, when all the people heard this and the tax collectors too, they declare God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. So the tax collectors, the lowest of the lows, have accepted John's message to flee from the wrath to come. They are trusting in Jesus. They are children of the kingdom. They hear Jesus's open invitation and say, yes, Jesus, I want to be a part of that kingdom. But then Luke says, He says that the Pharisees, he says, let me find it. He says that the Pharisees reject the purposes of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. So if you were to ask, what is the heart of the Pharisees? The Pharisees are essentially saying, Jesus, I hear your message. We hear about what John has said. We hear that he's been the one wearing the camel hair and doing all of the things that he does. We hear what he's saying, and we're good. The Pharisees are saying, this Jesus who says he can forgive sins, this Jesus who who works on the Sabbath, who, who doesn't even keep it. No, Jesus, we're good. We are going to look for another. And what does Jesus say to these people. He says, what shall I compare the people of this generation to? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge for you and you did not weep. Do you notice the difference between John the Baptist and the Pharisees? Notice how John the Baptist doubts, questions, but goes to Jesus with his doubts. There's a huge difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I know your word says that you are steadfast and you are good and you are holy and you're with your people, but it seems that you are not. And Jesus, I'm, I'm having a hard time syncing up what my head knows in my heart. And doubt says, Jesus, you need to help me with this. That's what doubt does. That's normal. But for the Pharisees and the people of this generation that Jesus talks about, no amount of evidence that Jesus does satisfies their longing. For those of you in here who have been a parent any longer than a day, you know, you know that no amount of ice cream, toys, swing rides, Paw Patrol, playtime, or cake will have your child saying, you know what, Mom and Dad, I am just so satisfied with the day that you had for me. <laughs> you know, I just, I mean, when you took us to the park and the swing set and you did the underdog, I mean, that, that was such a good touch. And then we ended with, I mean, Mom and Dad, I am just so filled. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go to the back. I'm going to get my Devo out and I'm just going to go and call today. I am Satisfied. We know that that's not gonna happen. And so Jesus compares the Pharisees, the tax collectors, to whining children who, if some of us are honest, our children want more, 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 more. They're never satisfied. Jesus said, We even played the games that you wanted to play. We played the flute for you and you wouldn't dance. We we sang a dirge, you did not and you did not weep, because he says, First, I sent you John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is firm. John the Baptist comes out and says, who warned you of the wrath to come? And the Pharisees say, whoa, 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 John, what's up with all the judgment, man? Calm down, chill, have a latte, like relax. They say, we don't like John the Baptist. And so they reject him. And so you think, okay, let's go to the other extreme. Now here comes Jesus. They're like, this dude is... Eating with the tax collectors and with the sinners and he's a drunkard. Jesus, you're way too nice. You're way too graceful. Jesus, I wish you would just use a little bit more judgment and law. No matter if Jesus sends John the Baptist, sleeping in the third count of five, or Jesus himself who says, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. Jesus' arms could not be wide enough. And Jesus says, these people are never satisfied. They're never satisfied. When Jesus says the people of this generation, Jesus is wanting our minds to go back to the wilderness generation. Remember that wilderness generation that was with Moses? Remember, as the book of Hebrews 3 is gonna say, why did they not enter into the promised land? Why did they not enter into rest? It was because of their what? Unbelief? Imagine walking with Moses. You're at the Red Sea, and the waves split up. Now, I'm imagining I'm getting mud. I don't got my chacos. Like, this is going to be a messy adventure we're going through. You know, I got flat feet. This is going to hurt. And and yet, as, as I'm walking through... The book of Deuteronomy says, notice how all those years that you walked, your feet did not swell. Jesus even like gave them custom shoes as they walked through the Red Sea. And as they see the waves and walking, it's not even a week later that they're saying, I wish this God would give us something to eat. Not satisfied. I would have thought, I know, but man, that Red Sea. You remember that? Remember, your da- remember the Red Sea? And then... They say, man, I wish all this manna, I I wish God you'd give us some meat. And so what happens? They complain that God's not providing enough for them. This wilderness generation, if they were alive today and they were on Yelp, they'd be the ones in the comment section saying, service is horrible, waiters are lazy, food is mediocre at best. They would say this whether they were at McDonald's or at Ruth Chris. Nothing that God did was enough and here's the tragedy the old testament said one is coming i can sum up your entire old testament as one is coming to set all things right he's here and he's saying come be a part of my kingdom every one of you unworthy come to me accept my cross and the pharisees now And the people of this generation now and those later will look at the cross, laugh, mock, scold, and say, no, Christ crucified, I I, I don't want that. As one theologian once said, whoever is not satisfied with Christ alone strives after something beyond absolute perfection. Whoever is not satisfied with Christ alone strives after something beyond absolute perfection. If you sit in the pews today and you're an unbeliever, I ask, what must Jesus do to satisfy you? What must the King of kings and Lord of lords do that he has already not done when he humbled himself walked among us, let us touch him, let us see him, let us see him bleed, let us see him, him mourn, see tears come down, let him sleep. What more must Jesus do to show you that he is the king of kings? What must he do? And so for those who would say, I have no belief, I ask, I beg, I persuade that you will let Jesus' blood be enough for you that his blood which satisfied which no old testament sacrifice could i ask and beg of you that you would allow jesus's blood to satisfy you and that you would take the invitation to be a son or daughter of the king for those of us who do believe for those of us who are children of this amazing wonderful kingdom i ask of you and i persuade that you would not become bored disillusioned or take for granted that one has come the cross is the easiest thing for us who are children of the kingdom that it just becomes commonplace jesus christ died for me wow whipped i Hope that as you being children of the king, you will look at Jesus and all that he has offered you, all of his invitation, all that Jesus has done, and that you will not be like that generation. That no matter what deliverance, what food item was there, or what clothing God offered, that you walk away and say, not enough. Let the cross of Christ Be the thing that God takes our unmet expectations, transforms them in the cross, and we walk away actually satisfied. So my question for you today is when you see Jesus, what do you see? When you see him, when you hear about him on CNN, when you see people on Facebook chatting away, when you see people on Twitter giving out 20 characters, when you see Jesus, when, when, when Jesus comes to your mind, what do you see? Because what you see in Jesus will ultimately determine if you are satisfied in him. Let us pray. Father God, your cross and your kingdom is here. And Father, as we await for the fullness of that kingdom to come, I pray that we would look at the cross and that we would not be offended by it. I pray that we would rejoice in it. I pray that, that your cross and entry into your kingdom and that your invitation to all of us, Lord, that the believer would be encouraged and, and would fix our eyes upon you and be satisfied in that. God, for the unbeliever today, perhaps sitting in the chair now, God, take their broken dead heart and father let them see with spectacles the beauty and glory of what you are offering all of those who put their faith and trust in you oh father be with us now as we worship and as we close this morning we ask all of this father in your son's mighty and precious name amen